This is Sam. And this is Corrine, and we are two Onk Ducks. So today's episode is going to be a bit of a different format, and we're going to be focusing on what you need to know to ace your hematology question on your internal medicine boards. So 6% of the ABIM exam is hematology, which includes erythrocyte, leukocyte, platelet disorders, coagulation disorders, transfusion medicine, and hemalignancies. So we're going to have some common vignettes and some high yield points that we remember from our IM boards. Definitely. This episode is for you guys, the IM residents who are training to certify in the ABIM internal medicine exam. Um, I was just talking with Kareen before we started recording, and I feel that at least what I could remember from my IM boards is that there was a lot more hematology than there was true oncology. And so I think that this is going to be a great episode for you guys. So to start us off, our first vignette is a 50-year-old with pancytopenia. They're going to show you a classic bone marrow picture with aplastic anemia and PNH as mentioned in last month's episodes. This is going to be hypocellular or have less than 10% cellularity. It's going to be mostly fat cells. And so the question will be, what is the treatment of this disease? So the treatment for aplastic anemia is going to be horse ATG with cyclosporin. And remember that Aplastic anemia is closely linked to paroxysmal nocturnal hematuria, hemoglobinuria. And for that vignette, for the PNH vignette, they might give you someone with hemolysis, blood in their urine. And the diagnosis is going to be with flow cytometry, which will identify that missing CD55 and CD59. And then the treatment for PNH is going to be echolizumab. And remember with echolizumab, the meningococcal prophylaxis. And then basically, if you ever see a vignette with a low hemoglobin, low haptoglobin, high retic, high indirect bilirubin, they are trying to hint at a hemolytic disorder. Definitely. I think you hit every single buzzword possible. So everything you said is very high yield. And our next question is going to be a 67-year-old woman who's being evaluated for fatigue and dyspnea on exertion occurring for the past two months. Her medical history is significant for breast cancer 15 years ago, which was treated with surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation. Her history is otherwise unremarkable, and she takes no medications. You get a CBC and note pancytopenia. They tell you that B12 and folate are also normal. So for this patient, you're going to want to do a bone marrow biopsy in order to rule out MDS. So the bone marrow in MDS, again, will show a hypercellular marrow with this erythropoiesis and the history of malignancy with the chemo or radiation treatment and the pancytopenia. Generally, they're trying to hit at MDS if they're giving you those kind of clues. Some other clues that they might give you in the vignette are if the patient has nucleated RBCs or hypolobulated neutrophils. And then for some reason, they really like to ask about 5-2 deletion MDS and lenalidomide as the preferred treatment option. And then another high yield point here is we did rule out B12 deficiency, but in a vignette where the B12 is borderline like 200 to 300, we will check methylmalonic acid. And remember that those patients might have hypersegmented neutrophils on their smear, and they do like to show that photo as well. And so if they're showing you these hypersegmented neutrophils, be thinking about B12 and folate deficiency. And if there is B12 deficiency, what do you replace first? So I 
I'm almost positive that this was a question on our ABIM boards, and it is to fix the B12 first, and this is to prevent subacute combined degeneration of the spinal cord. Agreed. I have that definitely. I think we might have had the same question. Well, it's hard for me to remember that many years ago. Our third vignette is going to be a 29-year-old female with a high white blood cell count, low platelets, low hemoglobin. She has a high PT and PTT, low fibrinogen. So what is our diagnosis here? So the diagnosis here is APL or acute promyelocytic leukemia. And you can check out our very first episode for full details on this disease. But anytime you see a high WBC count and abnormal coagulation labs, be thinking about APL and the treatment will be ATRA or retinoic acid with ATO or arsenic trioxide. And so this is in contrast to other AMLs that are not tested as often on the ABIM boards, but the vignette may not present you with DIC labs in which they're hinting the usual treatment for other acute myeloid leukemias, which is that seven plus three induction regimen of the seven days of cytarabine chemotherapy with a three days of an anthracycline such as donorubicin. They, they won't expect you for the ABIM boards to know which mutations are in which risk category, but in general, if they're describing someone and they say this person has high-risk AML, they're getting at that the patient will eventually need an allogeneic stem cell transplant after their consolidation and their induction chemo. Definitely. So the next question is going to be a 45-year-old female. She has confusion, low platelets, low haptoglobin. They're going to show us a smear and they're going to see helmet-shaped schistocytes. So what is our best treatment? So remember TTP for this kind of vignette, and you must begin treatment right away. Do not wait for the results of the ADAMTS-13 if the suspicion is high enough. And the treatment will be plasma exchange, also known as plasma phoresis. And you can also give it with prednisone and consider rituximab. And we have the full details on that in our episode on TTP. And rituximab will decrease the risk of recurrent TTP. The answer will not be platelet transfusions. Mm -hmm. These are just going to be consumed. And also know that for ITP or immune thrombocytopenia, you're not going to transfuse those patients either unless they're bleeding generally. And then for ITP, the first line treatment is always going to be steroids. Yeah. These are going to be young patients with just low platelets. Um, So you definitely need to know the difference between TTP and ITP um, and know how to treat both of them for your IM boards. So the fifth question is a 66-year-old man who is diagnosed with a malt lymphoma. He is H. pylori positive. And so what is our initial best treatment for him? So for this type of lymphoma, this malt lymphoma, if they're H. pylori positive, you're going to give this triple therapy of antibiotics and a PPI or proton pump inhibitor. The answer is not going to be chemotherapy. And then some other high yield lymphoma points are some of the translocations. So remember mantle cell lymphoma is that translocation 1114. Burkitt's lymphoma is that translocation 814. I remember that one because the B from Burkitt's looks like an eight and they will have a jaw mass. They might have an abdominal mass and it's highly associated with EBV. And because these tumors are quite large, they are also at risk for tumor lysis syndrome. And then finally, our Hodgkin's lymphomas. Remember those Reed Sternberg owl eyes and commit that photo to memory. Definitely. 
So cruising right along, we are into vignette six, which is a 59-year-old female with a platelet count over 1 million. Her white count is 9,000. She has no history of DVT. And so what is our best treatment for this patient? So in this patient, they are hinting at essential thrombocytopenia, and you want to check for JAK2. They may also describe erythromyalgia in the vignette, which is red, warm, or swollen, painful hands and feet. And you must know the treatment and risk stratification for essential thrombocytopenia and polycythemia vera. And so for ET, the low-risk patients that can be treated with just aspirin are going to be under the age of 60 have a white count less than 11 and have no history of blood clots or VTEs. And those high-risk patients that have age over 60, white count over 11, or history of VTE, you're going to need hydroxyurea. And then just remember that if they're ever giving you a pregnant patient, do not pick hydroxyurea. It is teratogenic, so that's never going to be the answer. And then also no other reasons for an elevated platelet count, such as infection or iron deficiency, which must be ruled out. And then for PV or polycythemia vera, the first step will be to check the EPO level. If the EPO level is high, this will be secondary erythrocytosis. And if the EPO level is low or normal, think about PV. And for PV or polycythemia vera, the goal hematocrit is going to be under 45. So you're going to do phlebotomy for hematocrit over 45. And then for those high risks over the age of 60 with a high white count or previous DVT, the treatment will also be hydroxyurea. I think that I had a question or so on um, PV on my boards. And so I think that these are definitely high yield things to commit to memory. And so our next patient is a 55-year-old male with an enlarged spleen. His white count is 170,000. He has high basophils. And what is our most likely diagnosis? So when you see a patient with splenomegaly, an unusual thrombus in an unusual location, basophilia, be thinking about CML or chronic myeloid leukemia. And so you're going to test the BCR able gene in the peripheral blood. And then that chromosome 922, that Philadelphia chromosome is pathognomonic. And then also know the treatment, which is that tyrosine kinase inhibitors like imatinib are the preferred answer. Other category one options are bosutinib, nilotinib, or dasatinib. And the side effects of these TKIs are that they can all prolong your QTC. And remember one special one with the satinib is that it can cause pericardial and pleural effusions. Definitely. The big thing to remember about CML is these um, patients, they can have these really high white counts and they can look okay walking in. So they're not going to be nearly as symptomatic as the acute leukemics. Knowing that chromosome 922 commit all those to memory. And so our eighth vignette is an 18-year-old with a recurrent treat or recent treatment for a UTI. He's coming in with a dark urine, a hemoglobin of eight. And so what is our diagnosis? So for this kind of vignette, be thinking about G6PD deficiency. You're going to see those bite cells on the smear. And just remember that the G6PD level can be normal during the episode. And so you're going to check the level two to three months after the episode. And then remember common drugs that can trigger G6PD deficiency, which are hydroxychloroquine, sulfa drugs. So as in this case with the UTI treatment, 
resburicase, dapsone, and then another UTI treatment, nitrofurantoin. Definitely. So the next vignette is an 80-year-old man who's coming in with spontaneous bruising. PTT is elevated. And so what are we thinking about in the diagnosis? So this vignette with an elderly patient with the isolated elevated PTT, they're often hinting at acquired factor eight inhibitor, and you're going to do a mixing study. And some other high yield bleeding disorder points are that you should not give fresh frozen plasma or prothrombin complex concentrate unless someone is on Coumadin and has major bleeding, intracranial hemorrhage, or is anticipated to have emergent surgery. So those won't be the options. Some either high, other high yield points are to not check protein C and S if someone is on warfarin. And then finally, for thrombophilia workup, we don't really test for MTHFR or homocysteine genes anymore. And you're generally not going to be testing for inherited thrombophilias unless there's a major risk factor. Agreed. I think with the acquired factor eight inhibitor, the biggest thing in this vignette is being elderly. Um, so this is definitely not hemophilia A that has um, congenital low factor eight because they would be diagnosed well before they're 80 years old. And so our last vignette for hematology IM board review is a 60 year old female with low platelet count one week after a blood transfusion. And what is our diagnosis that we're thinking about? So this is going to be post-transfusion purpura, and it's common in women who become sensitized to this HPA1A antibody after they've been pregnant in the past, and the treatment is going to be IVIG. And they're definitely going to ask you at least one transfusion question on your exam. So remember all of the different transfusion reactions. So the delayed hemolytic reaction is going to happen two to 10 days after a transfusion. You're going to have those hemolytic markers with a drop in the hemoglobin, a low haptoglobin. And that is in contrast to febrile non-hemolytic reactions, where if you leuco reduce the blood products, it can prevent this. And this will generally happen at the end or right after the transfusion in contrast to the delayed hemolytic, which will happen two to 10 days after. And know the difference between trally and taco. So both can present with these fluffy lung infiltrates and respiratory distress. For trally, you're going to have a normal JVD and no edema, whereas taco, you're going to have an elevated JVD. Mm-hmm. And then for IgA deficiency patients, you need to wash their blood cell products. And then finally, for bone marrow transplant patients, you're going to give irradiated blood products in order to prevent grafts graft versus host disease. Definitely. Know the transfusion reactions um, that Corinne just went about, because I do think that there at least was one or two questions on my IM boards about these. Um, So that was an awesome hematology, high yield, quick facts for the internal medicine boards. Um, So as always, guys, thank you guys so much for listening. Good luck with your boards. This one was for you, internal medicine residents. We hope you guys do very well. Please feel free to reach out to us with corrections, comments on our Instagram to OncDocs. And also on our Twitter. Good luck with studying. Oh, Twitter, Twitter. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.